Happy Mother's Day! Here at Grace, we celebrate all of you amazing women on this very special day. But before I begin, I want to say to those women who long to become mothers, I know that this is a very tender day for you. I remember the painful struggle of attending Mother's Day services just like this and feeling all alone, forgotten by God for several years of my life. It is my prayer and sincere desire that today you will feel the closeness of the Lord and remember that He loves you immensely and has not forgotten about you. So let's begin with telling you a true story. Most of you probably don't know what it's like being a pastor's kid growing up in a pastor's home. And since it's Mother's Day, I've been given special permission from our own kids to share our experience leaving for church on most Sunday mornings when they were young. And my husband John learned when our children were young that the best thing for him to do on a Sunday morning was to leave the house early so that he would not be distracted in preparation of speaking his sermon. One of her two children, who struggles with promptness even more so than his mother, did you notice I said his? Because of this, I would have the kids lay out their outfits on Saturday night, give them a reminder on what time we were pulling out on Sunday. So Sunday morning would come, and so would the reminders of what time we were leaving. There was a 30-minute reminder, followed by the 15-minute reminder, the 10-minute, the 5-minute reminder, and then the final yell from the mother, I'm going to the car now, as my frustration continues to grow. So Gracie and I, we would get in the car and back out of the garage, which was the last step to leaving without our son, Jonathan. I would push the button, closing the garage door, and begin backing down our driveway. Just before the door would come to a complete close, it would stop and up it would rise again. And here comes our son trekking out of the garage with his shoes half on, his belt dangling from his pants, shirt tail out. And on more than one occasion, he had a toothbrush and toothpaste in his mouth. So what a great hallmark moment. Here goes the pastor's van rolling out of the neighborhood with Jonathan spitting out the window. Then there was me sitting in the driver's seat like an overinflated balloon ready to pop. Needless to say, there are many mornings when I would lose my religion just trying to get to church on Sunday. So I say this so all of you can relax and know that your pastors and our families are just ordinary people just like you. The purpose of this message is for all of us to really know and understand who we are in Christ. But before we can do this, we need to know who Christ is. As a director of Grace Women, it is my heart's desire that this message would especially encourage all of you amazing women and that you will know the truth and that the truth will set you free. In the opening verse of Colossians, we are now told about two men who are mentioned, Paul, being the author of Colossians, and Timothy, who was his scribe. While most of us are aware of how Paul's relationship with Christ begins on the road to Damascus with the blinding light and falling off his horse, 
it is seldom told how Timothy's relationship with Christ originates. In 2 Timothy 1.5, the Apostle Paul tells us something noteworthy about this. But in order to grasp it, I want to begin by telling you a little bit about myself. If there is a theme song to my life, it would be, Great is God's Faithfulness. I did not grow up in a Christian home, but I had a praying grandmother, like Timothy, which we will soon talk about. In fact, I received Jesus as my Savior at the age of 10 in her little church in Norfolk, Virginia, and began reading a small children's Bible, attending church back here in Arlington, and growing my Christian walk the best I could. But I had this walk alone. My parents, who attended church when I was a baby, experienced a great loss, so great that they turned their backs on the Lord. You see, after years of experiencing infertility, they decided to adopt a son who was the apple of their eye. But around age three and a half, my brother Mark got an infection that spread to his brain rapidly and took his life. My parents turned to alcohol to soothe their aching hearts. And this became the environment in which I grew up. But First Peter 2.9 says that God has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that is just exactly what he did for me. And as a kid, I joined my grandmother's prayers and prayed for my parents' salvation for many years to come. I remember seeing the hand of the Lord in my life as a young girl in special ways that grew my faith. Well, you know I'm a dog lover, and I recall walking my dog one day, and out of the blue, a large, fierce German shepherd jumped out and began fighting with her. I was so scared, but I called out frantically to God, and all of a sudden, a police car appeared and turned on his loud siren. Well, of course, this scared both dogs and sent them in opposite directions. While it may sound like a small thing to you, it was a big thing. It was a God thing in this young girl's life. That same dog named Kelly got heartworms, and her vet gave her a 50-50 chance to live, recommending this expensive surgery. And at the age of 16 years old, I remember driving away from her vet the day of her surgery with worry gripping my heart. When I heard on the radio this old hymn with the words, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Well, I knew I had prayed. And with my childlike faith, at that moment, I knew my dog, Kelly, was going to be fine. These answers to prayer continued to build my childlike faith and my journey with Christ. So I became very active in our church youth group, and it was there that I met my husband, John, and now we've been married 36 years. And one year after we were married, something really incredible happened. Both of my parents came to know Christ as their Savior. Great is God's faithfulness after years and years of prayers. But sadly, somewhere along the line, I began to listen to lies. These lies said that I was not enough, not smart enough, not talented enough, not cute enough. Then there were the lies that said that I had to jump through so many hoops in order to sustain this relationship with Christ. 
that I had to prove myself following this long list of rules in order to be accepted by him. But the lies didn't stop there. I believe God's love and grace were very conditional for me and that I was in and out of heaven like a revolving door every time I messed up. And with each lie that I listened to, fear and worry began to grow, taking a deep root inside my life, overshadowing God's truth for the enemy's lies. These lies led to insecurities, anxieties, and making really bad decisions. They often steal our peace and our freedom that Christ came to give to us. How about you? Are there lies that you're believing that don't align with God's truth? Let's go back to 2 Timothy 1.5, where we can learn more about Timothy and the amazing gift that was given to him in his childhood. Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So where does Timothy's faith begin? From both his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. These women had a powerful influence on his life. But something very significant is told to us later in 2 Timothy 3.15, where Paul tells Timothy, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Lois and Eunice knew who they were in Christ, and they passed their understanding and their identity to Timothy, who later pastored this church in Ephesus and even penned this book of Colossians. Timothy was raised in such a way that he had a correct understanding of who Christ was and found his identity in Christ, to whom he can attribute to his grandmother and his mother. So what was missing in my life? Like Timothy, I had a praying grandmother. Unlike Timothy, I was missing the amazing gift of being taught God's word. And therefore, I didn't have a correct understanding of Christ. After all, how could I know who I was in Christ if I didn't even understand who Christ is? How could I understand his creation, myself, when I didn't understand my creator and what he had done for me? But God is faithful, and things began to change for me. As a young adult, I began to study this Bible and came across scriptures like Psalm 139 that says, I praise you because you made me in such a wonderful way. Or from Ephesians, where it says that we have been created as God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ. Wow! It was then that I began to understand that I could accept myself for who he made me to be, including my curly hair and freckled face. But what about the struggle and the feeling like I had to earn my salvation with good deeds, my works, and my actions? I came across Ephesians 2, 8-10 through 10, that said, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. This truth dismantled everything I thought to be true as a Christian, and what a relief it was at that. Still, 
I couldn't wrap my head around God's unconditional love for me. On this earth, love is conditional. You get love if you give love. But when I read Romans 8, it told me a different story about the love of Christ. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Jesus our Lord. Hmm. His love never ends. But what about my unfaithfulness to God? Like the times when my prayers weren't answered and I turned my back on him. But what about all the times when I chose to worry about all my problems rather than taking them to the Lord? Or the numerous times then I insisted on doing things my way. Listen to this. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Who is this Jesus? Look what he's done for us. Look at his character, his forgiveness, and his faithfulness to us. Who loves like Christ? Who forgives like our Lord? Friends, I now know that it's not about who I am, but it's first about who He is. It's not about who you are, but first about who He is. Once we know His identity, then we can know our identity. This is so important. And when we become followers of Christ, we take on his identity. Galatians 2.20 says that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How about you? Do you know and believe what Christ has done for you? Or are you believing lies instead of God's truth? Let's see how we can make a change. Where does right thinking begin? Ask yourselves, who is Christ? What is his character? And what has he done for you? What does this make you? Jeremiah 29, 13 says that you will seek him and you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. Secondly, immerse yourself in God's truth and take hold of who Christ is. We study his word, which describes everything we need to know about his identity. Next, identify these lies. Allow his truth, like a flashlight, to shine into areas of your false thinking. Compare your thinking about yourself to God's thinking about you. Dig these lies out, going deeply to stop their roots. So how do we remove them? Stop believing them. As a young teen, I believe that I didn't measure up for several reasons. And even at church, 
One of those reasons was because my dad, who drove me to church, would be drinking beer in his car in the church parking lot, while my Christian peers' parents were inside the church worshiping. I was embarrassed and ashamed of who I was. Set a filter over your mind. What is the purpose of an air filter? Its basic function is to clean the air that circulates through your HVAC system. It traps and holds contaminants that could affect your health and comfort. Well, this is what Scripture does. It filters the lies and protects our minds. And my filter is found in Philippians 4:8 that says, "Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely." Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. So commit verses to memory so that they're easy to recall when you're tempted. When I hear whispers that say, "I am not good enough," I take that whisper through the filter and ask myself, "Is this excellent or praiseworthy?" Or what about whispers that say? Look how you have failed God. I ask myself with that same filter: Is this what God wants me to dwell on, or have I already been forgiven? Next, believe in these truths. Knowing and believing are two different things. Luke one forty five says, "Blessed is she who believes that which the Lord has said to her will be accomplished." We must choose to believe what God has said. Can you begin to even imagine the freedom and the peace that comes when we live our lives in His truths? And the last step: rinse and repeat. I am the shortcut queen. If there ever was one, if there was a quicker and an easier way, I would have found it. But the truth is, we need to hear His truths every day. Why? Because buckets full of lies are thrown at us every single day, they're like weeds that keep popping up in our garden. We have to equip our minds with what is true. Friends, the term "fair trade," where fair prices are paid to the producers, has become really popular now. But what Christ has done for us is far superior than a fair trade. It's actually an unfair trade that leans in on our favor, big time. We can trade our imperfection for His perfection. We can trade our unrighteousness for His righteousness. We trade our shame for His dignity. We can trade our guilt for His freedom. We can trade our emptiness for His abundance, and trade our brokenness for His wholeness. We trade our unfaithfulness for His faithfulness. We can trade being alone for being chosen. Have you ever been trying to get something done and find a fly buzzing around your head? Well, one day when I was sitting at the kitchen table writing, I noticed that there was this fly trapped inside of our house. He would fly from window to window. And the glass doors seeking freedom, he saw freedom awaiting, but there was this pane of glass between him and his escape. I kept trying to lure him outside, mainly because his buzzing was annoying me. But even my attempt of opening the glass door wide failed. 
He refused to take my lead. Why? Because he was believing a lie that he could set himself free. That fly reminds me of so many of us, including myself. Jesus came to show us the way, offering us freedom and truth in exchange for our lies. But will we choose it? In closing, I want to encourage you to challenge yourself by asking, are the things that I'm believing about me in alignment with what God's believing about me? What roots do I need to begin digging out that lead me back to anything less than who God says I am? We've talked about what Christ has done for us, but who does he say that I am? I want to ask you to do something very important right now. Will you close your eyes and tune your ears to hear his voice as I turn these words into prayer over each of us? Dear Jesus, help us to fully embrace these truths that you are speaking to us now. I am chosen. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am beautiful. I am accepted. I am seen and I am known. I am a friend of God and I am a child of God. I am called your beloved and I have been set free. Amen.